us here at the City Life Church is in Romans chapter 12 in the second verse, and it says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might know the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. I call that the gap will of God. I, I like how that fits into our series, right? This series that we're in, Living in the Gap. We want to live in the midst of the dream that God has dreamed for you and I to live. And it's one of the reasons why we have an intensely teaching pulpit here at the City Life Church because of that verse. We know that the only way that our minds are going to be renewed is if they're just continually being washed by the truths of God's Word. So we want to be a church that, that digs deep into God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 4, it's another hallmark verse for us here at the City Life Church. Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Word of God is alive and active. In the King James, it says it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It judges the attitudes and the intentions of the heart. God's, is there a hum in these? Do you hear that? Can you guys knock that hum out? Thank you. God's Word is a living presence in this world. It's unlike any other book in the universe. It's unlike any other book in this world. It is alive. And when we allow God's work to get into us, it does a transformative work inside of us. But there are also times, I believe, when God's Word invites us to enter into itself. As strange as that might sound, as strange as that might seem, that it has a living presence in our lives. And there are times, and I hope you've experienced it, and we're going to experience it tonight, when we're into God's Word, and it is as though it's drawing us into the story because if we're willing to step in, in that moment, we experience a living Christ. Well, we're going to talk about a Jesus who's alive a week before Easter. Can we, are we allowed to do that? Come on. He, he wants to be a living presence in your life. It's one of the reasons why God gave us this sacred book, because when we open its pages, it is like a threshold in this world. It's like a doorway, dare I say, a portal that separates this temporal world from the eternal realm that lasts forever, that we're all going to be a part of one day. And God's Word, when we open it with an expectant heart, when we open it with a heart that's willing to obey, when we open it with a prayer that says, Holy Spirit, come on, move in my life, teach me something, there are moments in our lives where it is as though the Holy Spirit says, come on, let's just step right into the story, and in that moment we encounter a living Christ. So we're going to create some opportunities in this sermon tonight for you to respond. We're going to create some opportunities in a, in a little while. We're just going to embed some prayer into the sermon. And in that moment, you're going to have a chance to interact with what we believe God wants to do in your life tonight. But it takes a willingness on your behalf to set aside some of your inhibitions. It's going to take some willingness on your behalf to set aside some, maybe some issues with restraint. It's going to take some willingness on your behalf to say, you know what, I'm willing to be a little bit conspicuous in the moment because I want to encounter the living Christ who's here in this room. It's interesting, isn't it, that we don't seem to have a problem with inhibitions with the things that we shouldn't do, but when it comes time to do the things that we must, our inhibitions seem insurmountable. Can we say that again? Sometimes, right, the irony of life, the irony of our humanity is that our inhibitions we don't have a problem casting them aside to do the things that we shouldn't do, but yet when it comes time to do the things that we must, our in, in, inhibitions seem insurmountable. Like when people are driving around town, the things that they do in their car, even though everyone's watching and they act like no one can see them. 
You with me, right? I'm, I'm telling you, and some, it's, you, it's some of you. So I was leaving here for a lunch appointment this week. I was having lunch with Joey here. On my way, turn off of Harpersville Road onto Work Boulevard, and I see a, a woman in a business suit. She's in a, a very high-end car. Her hand is so far into her nose, I'm convinced that she's <laughs> scratching her brain. It was absolutely disgusting. And I thought to my, are you kidding me? What, are you kidding me? Do you not have any inhibitions? What, you're in public. Come on, this is ridiculous. I, this is a true story. I kid you not. As I continue to turn, the truck right behind her, it's a work truck. The guy's been, you can tell he's been working all, all day, doing the same thing. It's like, what kind of heathen city is this that I brought my family to here in Newport News? There is no sense of inhibition here in this city. So I leave my lunch appointment. I'm driving back. I'm busy. And, and uh, so cast aside some inhibitions. I'm catching up on my email while I'm driving, right? Some of my texts, I know, teenagers don't listen. Your pastor's setting a bad example. So I'm reading a text as I'm riding down the road, right? I'm just casting aside all sense of self-restraint, doing something I know I should absolutely not be doing. And as I'm reading the text, another text pops up onto my phone from Officer Kevin Telly, who was leading worship tonight. And the text said, Pastor Fred, don't text while you're driving. I know, I know. Now, I wasn't close to having an accident by reading the text, but I almost had an accident trying to find out where he was. I think he might have been hiding in the Christopher Newport statue. I think Kevin Tully was in there watching me. It was creepy. I could not find him. It's like he on his, he's a motorcycle cop here in the city. It's like he has Klingon cloaking technology that we don't know about. And that's where all our tax money's going. It's true, though, isn't it? We just, we so easily cast aside our inhibitions. We so easily cast aside restraint that we should have in the face of things that, that we shouldn't do. But when it comes time to do the things that we know that we must, our inhibitions become insurmountable. Don't let your in inhibitions be insurmountable tonight. In the moments that we invite you tonight to encounter a living Christ, cast your inhibitions aside and just let him speak to you. Step into the story with us tonight, and I'm telling you, you will not leave here the same. So Thursday morning, something supernatural happened to me. You know, we're in this series, Living in the Gap, and we spent two weeks talking about how uh, we, we need to have a, a, a feel a deep love for God if we're going to do great exploits with God. And for the last two weeks, we've been talking about how one of the devil's traps for us that he tries to diminish our he tries to diminish our destinies by making us willfully disobedient. So we've been talking about all the different kinds of disobedience that we find in the Bible. We're going to hit two more tonight, but we're going to do it in a little bit different way. Instead of come on looking into the text, we're going to step into the text and encounter a living Christ there. And I think some of you are going to find some freedom, maybe in some areas of your life that you you've struggled with. Come on, it's going to be good. So I'm going into my office, and, you know, my, my whole plan for the sermon tonight's all, all worked out, but I'm praying. I'm saying, God, you know, is, is, this what you want to is this what you have for us? Is this the direction that you want us to go? And we're praying that every week, even though we think we already might know what we're supposed to do. And so I get into my office early Thursday morning. I, I sit down at my desk. I, I turn on my monitor, 
and I turn on the speaker system that's connected to the computer. Those are the only two buttons that I push. Then I sit down in my chair. iTunes automatically launches. I'm, I'm watching this happen. I'm not touching a thing. And a sermon that's in my archives that I haven't listened to for years by Pastor Earl Palmer, formerly the pastor of Presbyterian uh, a church, a Presbyterian church out in Seattle, Washington. He's, he's just a, a, and he's a living encyclopedia about Scripture. I just love listening to him. He's just a, a, just a scholar of immense proportions. And one of his sermons just starts playing, just starts playing all by itself. I'm, I'm not hitting any buttons. I'm convinced that it's evidence that Jesus is a Mac user, right? Because it is a Mac. And, yeah. He doesn't like the Apple logo for obvious reasons, but other than that. Come on, come on, come on. But not, where's my rim shot? Can I get a rim shot? I kid, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. It just automatically launches all by itself. And so I, right when I'm praying, I mean, I'm literally praying, God, what do you want us to talk about? On Saturday and Sunday, German starts, I think, okay, God has something that he wants me to hear. So I, I sit down in my chair, and he begins to tell a story out of Acts 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts 16, beginning in verse 11. So Pastor Earl Palmer, he's, he's exegeting this text. He's giving all the background for this this text, beginning in verse 11, it says, Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Now, we know Philippi is an important colony. As he talks about here, it's a Roman colony because it's one of the books in the Bible, right? It's the book of Philippians, which is Paul's letter to this colony that he spent some time in ministering where he planted a church. It says, We stayed in the city for a number of days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. Now, that's an important note because it tells us that there is no Jewish synagogue in this Roman colony because it took at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. And if they didn't have 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue, what they would do, they would establish a place of prayer. And that place of prayer was the precursor to the synagogue that would one day be in that city. And so Paul goes out to the place of prayer that the Jewish people had together. And it says, We sat down and we spoke to the women who were gathered there. And a woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Come on, this was the beginning of the church that Paul would plant here in Philippi. Now verse 16. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of predi prediction. We're going to talk about what that word means. It's important. And made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul... And us, that's speaking of Luke and Timothy and Paul and Silas, that's who's on this, on this missions team. These, this is what the, the, the girl's saying. These men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Not just for a few minutes, not just for a few hours, but for many days. So you can imagine if a demon-possessed fortune teller was following you, right, for several days everywhere you went, saying things about you as you went along. But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the Spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ 
come out of her, and it came out right away. Come on, it's good. Now Luke writes that this girl had a spirit of divination, or a spirit of prediction. The word in the original language there is the word python. Now why does, why does he use that word? Because in Greek mythology, it was believed that Apollo killed a serpent dragon that guarded what was believed to be the center of the earth. It was called the navel of the earth. This is Greek mythology. And he kills this serpent dragon who was referred to as a python. And when he did, it falls into this pit in this city at Delphi. Still a city in, in Greece today. And it was believed that the sulfurous fumes that rose up out of this pit had spiritual powers. In fact, a whole cult formed around this Greek mythology. And the center of this cult was the Oracle of Delphi. And this woman and all of her priestesses would gather there at this place and they would breathe in these sulfurous fumes and they would eat narcotic laurel leaves and they would have these hallucinations. They would go into this trance-like state. And then in that place of being in a trance-like state that it was, it, was, it was believed that they could tell people the will of the gods. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? I don't think it's an accident that Luke chooses this kind of language there that escapes us in some of the translation because he wants us to know that the work of the enemy in our lives is always restrictive in nature. The work of the enemy in our lives is always to constrict, it's always to restrict, it's always to minimize the destinies that God has for us. And here in this city, Luke is trying to say to us, that the devil knows that he cannot stop Paul from being there, but he's going to try to minimize the impact that he has while he's present. And he does the same thing in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you've got some demon-possessed fortune teller that's following you around, right? If you do, see us after the service. We'd like to talk to you about that, right? If you're married to them, we really want to talk to you about that. But what I am saying is that all of us have a voice that follows us around, and it's the voice of temptation. I'm not saying it's the devil, right? The devil can't be everywhere at the same time. But all of us, I can't explain it. I don't know what the source of it is. I'll leave that to smarter people than myself. But you know, just as well as I do, every day in our life, there is a whisper of temptation that follows us around. Tempting us to look at this. Tempting us to say that. It's like what Vanessa was talking about, right? It's tempting us to do the things that we know that we shouldn't and to not do the things that we know that we should. It's a whisper that comes to you early in the morning where you have made a decision the night before. I'm getting up early to read my Bible, right? Your alarm goes off. And you know the whisper comes. You can read it tomorrow. And you hit the snooze button and you go back to sleep, right? The whisper of temptation. It follows us around everywhere that we go. If you've made a decision to live your life for Jesus Christ, he cannot keep you out of heaven, so he begins the work of trying to keep heaven out of your time here on this earth, to restrict it, to constrain it, to minimize the heaven on earth that you get to experience in the here and now, and he certainly wants to minimize the impact that you're going to have in the lives of other people, just like in the story, just like in the text. The voice of temptation that follows us around is trying to distract us from the destiny that we have been called to live out. 
And at some point, at some point in our lives, which is one of the reasons why I think Luke included this story in Acts, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was because he wanted us to know that we, like Paul, there should be a righteous indignation that rises up inside of us and says to that voice, shut up. Right? I grew up in an era where we were taught in the Christian church, you, you rebuke that thought, right? But we don't have to speak in King James. That's okay. The modern-day version of rebuke is shut up. It's the modern version. You're allowed to say that, right? You're not allowed to say that to each other in the Michaud home, but you can say it to temptation. So in the morning, when your alarm clock goes off, and you've made a decision that you're going to get up and read the Bible, and the whisper comes, hey, you can read tomorrow. You can catch up later. You say to that voice, shut your mouth. There should be an anger that wells up inside of your heart that says, you are not the boss of me. It's interesting, isn't it, that what does not happen is that Paul does not begin to plead with God to do something about this woman that's following him around. Maybe he did, maybe we didn't, we don't know. It does say that, that she followed him around for days. It does, does say that for, for day, on and, day in and day out, this happened. But it does not say that Paul went to a place of prayer and said, God, come on, I know that you've called me to this city, but this woman, she keeps following me around. She's such a distraction. She's such an irritation. I'm trying to teach, right? He doesn't do that. And if he did, if he did, we know what God said to him. Paul, I've given you everything that you need to deal with this situation. I have given you everything that you need to deal with the situation. You don't need to complain to me about it. You need to stand up and exercise the authority that's in you because of who you are as a child of God and speak to that thing and tell it to shut up. And it cannot resist the power of God. It cannot resist the power of God. And for many of us, we struggle with whatever the voice of temptation that follows us around. And we're going to get to some of them tonight when we talk about this idea of a couple of kinds of disobedience. For some of you tonight, you've spent far too long complaining to God about the temptation that you struggle with, and his response to you is do something about it. Yes, it's in my name. Yes, it's because of my power stirring inside of you, right? Scripture says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is that work inside of your moral body. God says, I've already given you everything that you need to do to deal with this situation. Just tell it to shut up and move on. Rise above and live your life. Do not be a Christian victim. For so many of us, we live our lives as a victim, complaining and crying about the struggles that we have. And God says to you, you don't have to live that way. Overcome. Overcome. So Friday morning, I'm in the parking lot at Walmart. It's an ungodly place to be, right? I'm on my way into the store. And I noticed a, an elderly woman standing over her car. The hood is up. She has a can of oil in one hand and a funnel in the other. And she's standing there just like that, right? So I walk over, right? And I say, ma'am, could, could, could I help you with something? And she turned around and she said, oh, please, please. This goes in here somewhere. That's what she said. I'm, I'm quite certain if I had not stepped in, she might have just poured it over it, right? Like, I'm going to just baste it like a turkey. 
I know he said it was supposed to go in it. Maybe he just meant on it. It's a German car. All the labels are in German, right? I hope I put it in the right place. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I take off, which obviously the oil cap is right there by the manifold cover, and, and you could see there was oil on the underside of it, and so we just we pour it in there. And she, You would have think I would have given her a million dollars. She just, you know, th- thank, you so, thank you so much. Thank you. So at the end, I said, you know what, ma'am? I'm glad to do it because if someone were to see my wife in a parking lot like this, she would have been doing the same thing. I know this goes in here somewhere. I'm just going to pour it off. I said, I would hope that someone would stop for her and help her. Jesus always stops for you. He always stops for you. But he will not do for you what you should be able to do for yourself. He will not do for you what you should be able to do for yourself. He will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And there are times we find ourselves in situations and circumstances in this life. We're like the woman in the parking lot of the Walmart with the oil in a funnel. We have no idea what to do. He steps in. He does for us because he's a loving God. But if we know what we're supposed to do, he says to you and I, do it. Be Paul in the city of Philippi. You do not have to struggle with this temptation Tell it to shut up and rise above it. Don't be a Christian victim. All right, I'm going to invite Kevin Tully to come up. He's going to play a little bit while we read the rest of these stories. If you've got your Bible, you can flip over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 and 17. Come on, are you going to cast aside your inhibitions tonight? You're going to step into the story, have an encounter with the living Christ? Mark eleven fifteen through 17. I got some glasses up here somewhere. I can't see. All right, there we go. 15 through 17. All right, it's Palm Sunday weekend. Let's give a nod to Palm Sunday. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple complex, and he began to throw out those buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple complex. Now that's recorded for us in a couple of the other of the Gospels. And if you turn into your your Bibles, into John chapter 2, you'll find that there's one other time where Jesus did this at the beginning of the ministry. It's interesting that Jesus did this two times in his life. He did it at the launching of his ministry, and he did it at the end of his ministry. It's the only two times he went into the temple complex to cleanse it. And I think there's a reason for that. I think Jesus was was establishing for us a story that we could step into. Because we know, as Paul writes, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you and I have to make room in our hearts for a righteous indignation. You and I have to make room in our heart for a holy anger. Anger is not a bad emotion when it's directed in the right way, especially when it's directed against temptation. And for some of you here tonight, the temptation that you've been struggling with all of your life, we're going to talk about two of them tonight, but it might be lots of different kinds of temptations that you're going to respond to tonight in in your own way. There has got to be something inside of you that's like Jesus in the temple complex that just says, you do not belong in my life. If you've been struggling with drug addiction your whole life, come on, let tonight be the night that you say, this is just my last day. I'm done. Shut up. I'm not using it anymore. And you live the rest of your life clean. You live the rest of your life sober. You might be one of the guys that needs to come to that 
group, The Rescue, that Steve Ruggiero and some other guys that are launching because you struggle with, with pornography and some sexuality issues. Come on, tonight could be a night that you say to that temptation, sh just shut your mouth. I'm not looking at that anymore. That's not the life that God's called me to live. There should be an anger that rises up in your heart like Jesus in the temple complex and you just begin to clean house. That you say to those things in your life that you know don't belong there, you cannot live here anymore. Anymore. So, Father, as we step into these two stories tonight, may it be that we would set aside our inhibitions. May it be that we would find some courage tonight to say to these voices that keep tempting us away from our destiny, just shut up. That's not who I am. That's not the life that I've been called to live. And I'm moving on in Jesus' name. All right, come on, we're going to talk about two tonight. This is in 2 Samuel. It's in chapter 11. It says, in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. It says, one evening David got up from his bed and he strolled around on the roof of his palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he reported... This is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Come on, there was a shut-up moment in there that David missed, wasn't it? And then it goes on to say that she becomes pregnant. Now David knows that he's really in trouble. So in verse 6, it says, David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And so Joab Sent, for Uriah, sent Uriah to David, and Uriah came to him. David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. As you continue to read the story, you find that David tried all different kinds of ways to get him to go visit his wife, so it would appear that this child that, that she was carrying would be the, that of her husband, but he would not go because he was an honorable man. He said, I'm not going to go be with my wife when all of my troops are separated from their families. So know what David did. Because this is how temptation works. When you say yes to it once, it just keeps getting worse. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. And in the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him. Withdraw from him so that he was struck down and then he would die. It's called entitlement disobedience right there. It's called entitlement disobedience. What is that? It's what many of us suffer from. It's what David suffered from later in his life. He's about 20 or so years into his kingship here. This is how entitlement disobedience works. As we look at all the good that we've done in our life and we say, I deserve this moment of indiscretion. I'm entitled to it. We treat Christianity like a rewards credit card when we've earned enough points. We cash in to do something that we know that we shouldn't do, but we've earned the right to do it because of all the good that we've done. It's entitlement disobedience. I had some problems with entitlement disobedience just this afternoon. I came home, insensitive to Vanessa, barking out some orders. I'm in rushed. I'm behind schedule, right? And I can see the look on her face that, you know, she's hurt because I'm being insensitive. And, and 
So instead of being the kind, right, pastor that I should be, instead of being the, the, the one that recognizes the voice of entitlement, I'm giving her all the reasons why I don't have to be insensitive. You don't understand the pressures. What it means to have to preach, right? I'm giving her my list, right? Giving her my list. Entitlement, disobedience. So I had to go back up, swallow my pride, apologize, ask for forgiveness, yeah? Because that's what we do. That's what courage does. All the reasons why. You, you and I, we do it all the time. Small ways, big ways. For you, it might be, I deserve these six more beers because I've had a stressful day at work. I deserve to take those pills because I've had a hard day. I deserve to look at these websites. Just My family just doesn't understand the stresses that I'm under. You, you with me? It's entitlement, disobedience. It's the whisper that follows us around, you deserve this. You don't have to do that. You're entitled. There should be something that rises up inside of us that says, shut your mouth. That's not who I am. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do another story. And I'm just telling if you're here tonight and, you, and you're someone that has wrestled with entitlement and disobedience, this is where you've got to be willing to cast aside some of your inhibitions. This is where you've got to be willing to cast off some restraint. You've got to be willing to say, you know what? I don't want to be a hider. It's an area that I struggle with in my own life, and I'm just going to stand up in the middle of this prayer at some point, and it's my way of saying to that voice, you shut up. And then this week, because you stood, there's going to be a sense of courage that rises up inside of your heart. So when that voice whispers to you again, you're going to say, come on, like Paul said to that girl that was following him around in Philippi, you, you're not the boss of me. I'm not doing what you say. So, Father, we lift up every person that's here tonight. We lift up every person that's sitting in this congregation tonight that has been letting a whisper lead them around more than it should. Father, that tonight they're going to find some courage. That tonight they're going to find a sense of empowerment. That tonight they're going to find a voice inside of them maybe that they've never had before. That they're going to find a voice that wells up inside of them that's from something deep, that's from something eternal. That when they face temptation, especially the temptation of entitlement, that they're going to say to that thing, come on, you shut your mouth. I'm a child of the living God and that's not the life that I'm called to live. And we say, oh God, for every person that's standing here tonight, we know that you have a destiny that you've called them to live. We know, Father, that you have a purpose that you've spoken over them, God. We know that temptation is at work in their life to diminish their destiny, to minimize the impact that they're going to have in this world, and that tonight's going to be a night that they leave here saying, I encountered a living Christ, and he taught me, he empowered me, he showed me the authority that I have, and I've been complaining to him about this struggle that I have with temptation. And what he's saying to you tonight, come on, as I have given you everything that you need to overcome. Don't be a victim. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. All right, come on, let's do one more. You want to do one more? This is in Exodus chapter 3. So this is the story where Moses, he's been out, right? He's 80 years old. He thinks that his destiny has passed him by because he had a whisper, right, that spoke to him in a moment of rage. And I'm entitled to take this person's life. 
So he thinks that his destiny has just passed him by, and he sees a bush burning on a hillside off in the distance. And he goes, and lo and behold, God begins to speak to him from this bush that's on fire but isn't being consumed. But listen to what Moses says to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites up out of Egypt? Because God says to Moses, hey, the the cry of the Israelites has been rising up before me. It's time for them to be set free. And Moses, I've picked you to do it. And Moses' response to God is, you've got the wrong guy. I can't do it. Verse 11. As you read the story, you begin to see that God begins to try to encourage Moses. He begins to tell him all the great things that he's going to do through him to try to build up his his courage. And then it comes to a moment where it's Moses' chance to respond. And yet again, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff, he replied. And then he said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to him, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. And so he stretched out his hand and he caught it up and it became a staff in his hand again. And he said, this will take place, he continued, so they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And so he put his hand inside of his cloak. And when he took it out, his hand was diseased with snow. It was diseased with leprosy. Then he said, put your hand back inside of your cloak. And he put his hand back inside of his cloak. And when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of this first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second. And if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water out of the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will, will turn to blood on the ground. Now, you would think at some point Moses would just say, okay, I, yeah, come on, let's go. Right? These are incredible things that God is doing. Verse 10, Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant of speech. And the Lord said to him, Who made, who made your mouth, Moses? Who makes the mute mute, or the deaf deaf, or the seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Verse 13, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. And it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, isn't Aaron your Levite, your brother? And so finally, God says, come on, I'm going to give you a helper. And finally, Moses is convinced to go. And you know the story from there, from Charlton Heston's movie. Can you imagine? You and I, we read that story and we say, I would have gone after God told me his name. Or if not then, I would at least gone as my walking stick turned to a snake and I picked it up by its tail and it turned back to a staff, right? We read those stories and we say, oh, I, I would have gone much sooner. I would have gone much sooner. Or it might be that you read that story and say, well, God, he's not done anything like that in my life. 
But sometimes we, we overlook the supernatural that happens around us all the time. Met a young family just tonight here that visiting. They were just sharing me the miracle of their baby. They're more than a decade. Not supposed to have kids. Baby's born. Come on. That's better than any staff turn into a snake in your hand. I'm just telling you. There's people in this congregation, divorced, reconciled, credible marriages. Come on. I'm telling you that's better than any staff turn into a snake. It's better. It's better. Some of you here tonight, the life that you used to live in your life has been transformed. You're not the same person that you used to be. I'm telling you, that's better than any hand going inside of a coat and coming out with leprosy and going back in and coming out clean. Just, just us alone, these 200 or so people that are in this room, we're filled with stories of God moving on our behalf in divine and supernatural ways in your life and in the lives of people all around you. Come on. And yet you and I, like Moses, we step into what we're calling reluctance, disobedience. For some of you, God's asking you to do something, and you know that he's asking you to do something, and you're having a conversation with God just like Moses had a conversation with God, and you're saying, I'm not educated enough, I'm not smart enough, I haven't been a Christian long enough, I don't know the Bible well enough, right? We all, we all have our butt list. It's our butt list that we bring to God, and then he wants to kick us in the seat of ours. Because he says to you and I, I've given you everything that you need, and if I've called you to do it, come on, will you not trust me? But like Moses, there's a whisper that's in your ear. It's the whisper that's following you around all the days of your life. It's the whisper that's saying to you, you're not ever going to be successful. You're not ever going to do those kinds of things. You're not ever going to be able to fulfill this dream that, that God has spoken over your life. Come on, you're with me? You know the whisper. There has got to be something inside of you like Jesus in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that just begins to clean house. If you are here tonight, come on, and God has spoken some things to your heart, a dream that you have that just seems impossible and you've given up on it and now you entertain the whisper of the naysayer instead of the whisper of the Spirit of God calling you forward to fulfill that dream, then come on, tonight can be a night where you stop listening to the one and incline your ear to the creator of the universe. So I'm going to pray and as we pray, I'm going to, come on, are you willing to just cast aside some inhibitions? And then we're going to go back in and worship for a song. I'm just asking you tonight, are you willing to say, are you willing to say, I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm not going to struggle with passivity. I believe that God has a destiny for my life. He has a destiny for my life. And I don't care what my training is. I don't care what my story of my yesterday was. I believe that God has called me. You fill in the blank. And if he's called me to do it, he's going to make it possible. 
So, Father, we lift up every person that's in this room tonight. We lift up every person that's here tonight that's struggling with reluctance, disobedience. It might be that they're here tonight and God spoke to them about serving in some capacity here in the church and, and they're having that conversation. I'm not good enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. It Maybe you're here tonight and, and there was a, a dream that you had for, for, for ministry or for a career or for a relationship and you've got good reasons. You've, bad things have happened just like in the story of Moses, but God as of recent days has just been coming to you and saying, come on, don't give up on this dream. Don't give up on this calling. Don't, don't give up on that prophetic word that was spoken over your life at summer camp when you were a teenager. Don't do it. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your children. For everybody that's standing in here tonight that's, that's had that whisper, and they've been using that whisper as an excuse, reluctance, disobedience, just like Moses, that tonight's going to be a night where they say to that whisper, you shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. And that God, that they're going to have a deaf ear to temptation. And the ear of their heart is going to be opened so wide to you that your call over their life is going to be absolutely deafening. And that courage is going to well up inside of their heart. And that they are going to begin to pursue. That they're going to begin to pursue what might, 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 seem, might seem to others impossible might might seem to others might seem to others as inconsistent with who they are but if it's the dream that you have put into their heart that they would trust you and they would rise up and they would begin to run after the life that you've called them to live come on everybody stand with me Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. We bless your name, Father. We bless your name, Father. We bless your name, Father. Father, we know that there are nights when you call us together because you want us to dig into the truths of God's word so that those truths can dig into us and our mind can be renewed. But we also know that there are moments where your word invites us to step into itself. And in that place, you do something inside of us that sometimes it's hard for us to find the words to describe it. It's hard for us to find the words to explain it. And we believe, Father, for people here tonight that tonight was one of those nights. that they're going to leave here different from how they came. Not a victim anymore. With a strength and a courage in their life that when they face temptation, that when they face temptation, they know what to do. They're certainly not going to give in. But they're not going to complain they're not going to whine. They're going to exercise the authority that you have given to them. 
and that they're going to say in Jesus' name, you do not have any authority over me. And that, Father, I believe it with all of my heart that people all throughout the sanctuary tonight, that they are going to walk out into a week this week with a sense of power over certain areas of their lives that they've been victimized for some for decades. That they're going to be free. That they're going to be liberated. They're going to experience the story of Easter, come on, a whole week early. That there's going to be just a new sense of life that's inside of them. That it's going to be visible on the countenance, on their face, that people in their jobs are going to say, hey, there's something different about you. That come on, their, their children are not, they're not even going to be sure who they are. That anger is not going to rule in the heart of the husband anymore. Come on, that depression is not going to rule in the heart of somebody else anymore. That addiction is not going to rule in people's lives anymore. Reluctance, disobedience, entitled disobedience, all the other temptations that we face in this world, that they are not going to rule in our lives anymore. That we want to be a church that has a belief in Jesus that goes far beyond some intellectual understanding. Jesus, we want you to be a living presence in our lives, transforming us, changing us, setting us free from who we used to be, walking out into our destinies becoming the people that you've called and created us to be, doing the works that you've called us to do. Come on, in Jesus' name, let's worship together. So from my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be-